The only rule we had was let's make a deal with each other. Let's not keep score. And if, if you go out with your friends, I'm not going to be sitting at home going, all right, now I get to go play golf because you went out with your friend. You know, let's not keep score on stuff. Everything we do is we. You know, it's a, it's a we first deal. Welcome to the Dad the Man podcast. If you want more influence with your kids, connection with your wife, and purpose in your life, then you are in the right place. We share conversations with the world's greatest as well as lessons from the Bible and my own personal experiences. I'm Brendan Wall, and I'm your host. I am married with four kids. I am not the guy with all the answers, but I am in search of them. I want to personally thank you for being here. It's an honor to have you. All right, so if you have not been here before, if this is your first time, I want to officially welcome you to the show. If you have been been here before, welcome back. It's an honor to have you. It, it truly is such a great blessing to have the opportunity to share this show, share the conversations, share this this platform uh, with you all, with everyone who's showing up every day, day in, day out, in the trenches, trying to show up as the best version of themselves, the best man, husband, and father that they can be. That's the mission that we're on here, and it's an honor to get to spend this time with you. So I do have an ask. If you enjoy what you hear today, and we have a really good one today, do me a huge favor. If you can share the show, share it with a friend and do us a favor, just leave us a rating and review on whatever platform you're on. It means the world to me to get that level of support from you all. I seriously cannot thank you enough. So today we have a conversation with Jay Billis. Yes, the Jay Billis you know from ESPN. He's an icon in the world of college basketball. He's a six-time Emmy nominee. He's a New York Times bestselling author. He's a Duke legend and NBA veteran. He's a practicing attorney, which I learned in this conversation. He's a husband. He's a dad. He's an all-around great dude. And today, he is the guest on our show. I personally got so much out of this conversation, as as much as I've gotten out of any conversation we've had on this show so far, this one, this is a really, really good one. I'm very proud to share this with you. From the marriage advice that he shares to the insights that um, he he explains about how he raises his kids, his approach to youth sports. And his kids have now grown up and they've been successful and they're wonderful adults. So he gets to look back and reflect on the things that went well and his experiences This episode is full of gems, so much wisdom. Without further ado, let's get right into it with the one and only Jay Billis. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. With us today, we have a guy who, if you're a fan of college basketball, you're absolutely, you know this guy, you're going to love this guy, you're going to love hearing from him today. And I think he's the only person that I'm aware of that picked the champion of this uh, this year's NCAA basketball tournament. With us today, the one and only Jay Billis. Welcome to the Dad the Man podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's good to be with you. Yeah, super excited to have you on, like I was just telling you before before we jumped in. So to, to kick this thing off, my favorite place to start is to go back. If we can go back to your childhood, tell us a little bit about where you came from, how you grew up, what you were into as a child, siblings, whatever you want to share from your childhood. Well, I grew up in Los Angeles in an area called, I was born in San Pedro, California, near the port of Los Angeles. And, uh, and I grew up in a, a, a town city called Rolling Hills. And uh, my parents um, I, I are still living in the same house I grew up in. Uh, they're 90 and 87 now. Uh, but, you know, my, my parents were sort of normal, hardworking, middle class folks. And uh, uh, I have an older brother uh, who's uh, seven years older than I am. And I have two younger sisters. 
uh, both of whom are lawyers. Uh, my brother is a just recently retired uh, executive in the uh, electronics and appliance industry uh, and uh, really proud of all of them. Um, but I never really left California until I went to college and never thought I would, but had, uh, I don't know, pretty normal childhood, I guess, you know, played sports and went to school and uh, hung out with my friends and did did everything you would uh, you would normally do as a child. So uh, it was kind of a nice, nice area to grow up. We were, I don't know, six, seven minutes by car away from the beach uh, in, nice. in Southern California. And uh, but I spent most of my time indoors playing basketball or, or outdoors playing baseball. And, uh, yeah, I was kind of a, a, a sports kid growing up. So three out of four of you guys became attorneys. Yeah, three out of four. My brother was the only one with a brain that, that chose not to do it. <laughs> what do you think led all, all three of you guys to uh, to go on that route? Uh, probably my dad. Um, yeah. And, you know, you got to give credit to my mom for that, too. I don't know whether it's credit or blame, honestly. But uh, <laughs> my, my dad thought that uh, law school was a really good uh, education. And, and he sort of sold it to all of us that one of the great things about having a law degree is it's versatile and you don't, you don't necessarily have to be a practicing attorney. And at, at worst, you know, if, if things ever get rough for you, uh, if you choose to go in another direction, you can always hang a shingle out and make a really good living. Um, but it would be really good for you to, you know, different way of thinking, learn how to manage your own affairs. You know, he always felt like nobody could BS you if you had a law degree. I'm not sure that's necessarily <laughs> true, but, uh, but I'm glad I did it. Uh, it was a really, um, really important part of my, uh, my education and my life. I mean, it's something that's been a big part of my life. Uh, but I never, when I went to law school, uh, and that's probably why my dad's sales job of, of, you don't necessarily have to be a lawyer was important because uh, I didn't plan on being a lawyer uh, and practicing. Uh, mm -hmm. But it, it, you know, the way things went uh, in my family life, that became a, a really important avenue uh, for me to take. Yeah. So what ended up pushing you, I guess, that direction to, to keep going? You said um, you, you didn't think you were going to end up doing it. And then kind of, I guess, to jump a little bit, you end up in broadcasting. What was how did you get from A to B, from from coaching into getting a law degree, and you end up in broadcasting? What was that transition like for you? Yeah, I'm not sure it was A to B. It was a pretty circuitous route. Um, so when I was in, yeah, I played basketball professionally overseas and thought I would continue on with that, but I was really fortunate. I got admitted to law school. I'd applied, you know, hoping to defer and then go after I finished playing, and I, I thought that could be 8, 10, 12 years. I didn't really know. And uh, uh, and then Coach K offered me my my college coach offered me a position on his staff, and uh, so I could go to law school and and be on his coaching staff at the same time. And that was all his idea. Um, and I think it was part of it was to you know I, I I'm sure there was some part of it that was helpful to me getting into law school, uh, but at the same time it provided me with uh, with the basketball avenue that I was I was craving. Uh, so I thought coaching would be the direction I would go, oh, and I would just be a coach that had a law degree. Uh, but uh, I I got uh, engaged to my longtime uh, girlfriend Wendy to uh, at the end of my third year of law school, and we just figured that the best uh, coaching wasn't the best thing for our family goals and our, you know, it wasn't a me decision; it was a we decision. And you know, if it was just up to me, I probably would have stayed in coaching. But it was it was going to be us, 
And so we decided that we didn't want to go that route. So uh, I accepted a job as a as a an attorney and uh, and thought that was going to be the way it went. But I, I midway through, I think it was midway through my first year as a lawyer, um, you know, I was trying to learn the ropes and you know develop a practice. And uh, I got a call from a, a radio executive named George Hable, who was the president of the Capital Sports Network, and he offered me some work doing uh, basketball games on the radio. And it didn't pay a whole lot, but I thought, you know, this could be fun. And uh, and it would get me out of the office a few days a week. Um, I'd have to get back in there and finish up my work. But uh, it, it offered me a chance to, to sort of do something I wanted to do, and that was stay in the game. And, uh, and you know, I thought, it, hey, what if this negatively impacts my law practice? I mean, that's my job. And that's my that's what I'm supposed to be you know, spending my my energies on. And so I could have said no and said, no, you know, what, what are the chances it's going to work out or th this is going to take my attention away from what I'm supposed to be doing. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to try it. And if it doesn't work out, I'll quit, but I'm not going to quit it before I, I give it a try. Yeah. And I tried it. I liked it. And uh, it led to more work and it led to work outside of radio, uh, started some TV work. And uh, and one thing led to another. And uh, a few years later, I started doing games on ESPN and it led to a full time full time gig where I had to step away from full time law practice and, and do law practice part time. Yeah. So it wasn't something that you ever actively pursued. It, uh, literally, the phone rang one day and you ended up stepping into it. I'm sure that took a little bit of courage to step away. But that's that's phenomenal that that was like a phone call literally changed your life in the trajectory of your professional career. Well, yes and no. I mean, I had prepared for it. So in in college, I had prepared for uh, uh, broadcasting opportunities. Okay. And so it wasn't it wasn't like totally foreign to me that I could or would do this someday. It had been something I had prepared to do and, and hoped to do. But when, you know, when you accept a job with a big law firm and you're you're agreeing to bill twenty five hundred hours a year, there's not a whole lot. Of, you know, you can't imagine there's a whole lot of time left over to pursue a career in broadcasting. Right. So when, when I started, I didn't intend on taking the broadcast route, but I didn't close anything off. I didn't close off getting back into coaching someday. Maybe that would happen. Um, you know, I, I didn't, it wasn't like I chose, okay, I'm going to devote my life to being a lawyer and only a lawyer and not consider anything else. Mm -hmm. I never said that, but I never had any intention of looking anywhere else either. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think I was prepared for the call when it came, but it wasn't something I was pursuing or expecting. Um, but I wasn't at that time, I wasn't, you know, when you have a when you have a a, a wife and a and are starting a family, uh, it you know you're you're interested in stability first, mm -hmm. and that was the most stable thing that would keep me around. And uh, and there there were challenges with it, um, and and a lot of things I had to learn as far as making sure that I was doing what I was supposed to do with my family, and uh, and not putting you know sort of two career opportunities first. How hard was that for you to juggle having obviously the, the law uh, practice? I'm sure, as you, as you mentioned, Bill, in 2,500 hours, that's a large expectation. And then you have this opportunity to stay in the game of basketball and pursue broadcasting. And then you've got this young family in the middle. And I'm just thinking about myself. I'm thinking about anybody else listening. I think that's something that in a lot of ways we probably all struggle with and struggle may or may not be the right word, but this art of balancing the things that we pursue professionally, the things that excite us that we want to accomplish and achieve in our, in our lives and our careers, but also not 
forgetting what matters most at home. I think that's something that we all work through to some degree. What advice would you offer to somebody maybe in that position? How, how have you navigated that? Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't know that I can give advice. I can tell you what my challenges and decisions were along with my wife, Wendy. Uh, you know, there, there are certain things in life that are have to. Um, you know, like, like you have to, you have to work to pay the bills and put food on the table, do all those things. And there are other, other things that are want to. And, um, and, you know, I had to, I had to work as a lawyer and I'd made that decision and that commitment, pardon me, that I was going to, I was going to pursue that. Mm -hmm. But when the broadcast opportunity came along, you know, we felt it was a good opportunity. Uh, and then when it started to grow, I had to make a choice. I couldn't do both anymore and have uh, have a sane life. Um, and and then when the broadcast thing kind of took off and I was on the road more and more, um, then I had some choices to make about I need to be home when I can be home. There are certain times I can't. Like I missed a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, and some of those you, you there's nothing you can do about it. They're scheduled at a certain time. It's my job. And, and part of my job is being away, whether you're an airline pilot or you name it, you know, it's not like an airline pilot can say, I'm sorry, you know, I'm at mid flight and say, I got a, I got a birthday party. You know, if you, you jump on the flight, you got to get the plane to the destination. Um, so there were certain things like that, uh, that I think people, you know, my, my family understood, but then later on, there were choices that, that were, were there when you had to say, you know, do I take advantage of this or do I not, you know? One of the hardest words, I think, to, and concepts to, for me to grasp back then was was the use of the word no. And uh, and, you know, my wife had to tell me one time, like, hey, you know, I'm really proud that you you know are willing to help your friends out and go to this charity event or speak at this event for a friend. But you got to remember, when you say yes to a friend to do those things that are going to take you away, you're saying no to your family. And that kind of hit me pretty hard that you know, how true and accurate that was. And, uh, you know, you, you have to say no and people understand no. Um, and they move on, <clears throat> they move on to the next thing. You know, they make it seem like, you know, the whole thing depends on your attendance and it doesn't. Uh, and then when you say no, they immediately move on to the next thing, get that person to think that they're the primary reason the event's going to be a success. Uh, so I learned that the hard way and, uh, and I've been better about it. I'm still, I'm still struggling with it a little bit, but my kids are 28, 26. They're not, uh, they're not pining for dad to be around very much. So how did you handle those situations where, you know, you knew, you knew you were going to be traveling, you were maybe missing a birthday party or a little league game or whatever it may be. Uh, you're such a thoughtful person. That's one of the things I've always appreciated about you and the way that you approach uh, your work that we all see on TV. I've always thought you're a very thoughtful person. I'd, I'd have to imagine you're very thoughtful and intentional about those types of things as well. So how did you maybe handle that, communicate those situations with your family? Well, first, I took my family with me at every opportunity, and I was probably a little late to that party, if you will. Um, you know, early on when my kids were were little, um, I probably didn't take them uh, to work with me as often as I should have because I felt like I don't want I don't want my family to be a distraction to my colleagues that are that are working, mm-hmm. and you know, I didn't realize how how much people on our crew you know, whether it's uh, on-air people or behind the camera, actually enjoyed having kids around. Because when my colleagues bring their kids, I really enjoy it. And uh, so I started bringing my kids with me. And, you know, luckily what what we do, uh, 
uh, our kids think is kind of cool and their friends think is kind of cool. So I started bringing them every opportunity I had, I'd bring them with me. And, uh, you know, whether it's bring the whole family or just take one kid at a time. Uh, and, you know, that's that's some time where, uh, you know, you could spend when you're traveling, eating, all those different things, or just when your kid's sitting, sitting with you in a meeting or uh, at a practice, whatever it is. It's just kind of a fun, fun thing for it's more fun for me. It wound up being more fun for me probably than for my kids. Uh, but you tried to do that. And then you made sure that if, you know, hey, if you miss something that you don't miss thing, you, you try not to miss things that you can be at. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I have, uh, you know, one of the perks of the job, if you will, is I have more time off than I had when I was a lawyer. You know, I might have I might have slept at home, you know, in the same house as everybody else. But I wasn't home that often. I was in the office working. And, uh, you know, my job in, in basketball, you know, as a as a broadcaster, you know, I have a lot more time during the during the off season than than most people have that have a quote unquote regular job. And uh, so I tried to take advantage of that and make sure that when you're home, you're present and uh, and you're kind of engaged in what's going on. And, you know, it doesn't have to be you don't have to set up some special at least I didn't have to or feel I didn't have to set up some special outing or you know hey let's see here's the wonderful thing you're about to do with dad just being there was was the fun part and uh and i think that's the the part that that hopefully the kids got something out of is just you around yeah i think that's such a strong point that's something i've been working through a little bit myself i've uh i mentioned before we've got four kids we got six-year-old boy four-year-old boy and we recently adopted twin newborns so life is just we threw a grenade in the middle of our family it's been crazy just adjusting and I've struggled with feeling a little bit guilty. You know, the babies take a lot of work. One baby takes a lot of work. Two babies takes about, feels like 10 times the amount of work. So the boys have had to become a little bit more independent. So I felt a little bit guilty kind of leaving them on their, on their own a little bit. And I've been trying in my head, like, it's almost like this default. We have to have this grand gesture, this big way to go do the big fun thing. That's going to make it all okay. And my dad, something, my dad said something to me the other day. He said, you don't have to do that. Just, it can be five minutes if you just if you can just get five minutes with your four-year-old like he's going to remember that and that's probably all he really wants and needs anyway it's just focused attention for a short amount of time and it's not this grand gesture it's just taking advantage of the time we've already got so i think that's yeah, they, a huge point they just want you you know they yeah. don't especially when they're little and you know my wife told me one time i don't know i was probably wrapped up in something that i thought was really important and she was pointing out something when the kids were really little. Hey, look at this, or isn't this great? And I probably didn't give it the attention it deserved. Well, I know I didn't. And uh, and she said, she said, you need to you need to pay attention to this. And she said, these babies are temporary. You know, they're gonna they're gonna grow up soon, and this is gonna be gone, and you're gonna you're gonna regret missing it. And so I don't, you know, I I, I hear you when you say you know you feel guilty. You know, I'm not sure that that feeling guilty does anybody any good. Um, you know, you want to do the best job you can. Mm -hmm. There are practical realities that are going to get in the way of you doing everything you want to do. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's just, that's just life. You can't do, you know, nobody gets to have it all. Uh, even mm -hmm. though people think they can, you have to make choices, but um, overall you do the best you can. And, uh, and, you know, my dad worked a lot when I was a kid. And I didn't see him as much as I wanted to. And but my kids saw me more than 
I ever saw my dad. And he was still really influential. And the time I had with him, I really appreciated it. Yeah, I think that's a strong point. The uh, the idea that feeling guilty is just, it's not productive. It's not going to serve you well. It's either you can control it, you can do something about it, or you can't. And sitting there, and this is, I mean, this is the, these are the thoughts that are running through my head constantly as I'm, like I told you before, I'm just figuring this thing out on the fly and uh, getting to learn from guys like you. So that's, that thought in itself right there is, that's extremely helpful to me. So thank you for, for sharing that. Well, nobody's got it all figured out. Uh, yeah. It's kind of what works for you. And, you know, now whether whether the roles in your family are more traditional, one person at home is 50 50 or whatever, um, whatever works for for each particular family unit, uh, there, there's no rule book for that and there's no requirement. But, uh, you know, what really helped me, I think, was making sure I listened to my wife and, uh, uh, you know, what is she telling me that's going on? And making sure I'm I'm reacting to that and giving everybody, especially her, you know, what what they need. And, uh, you know, like she was the, the one thing that that I I don't know whether I did a good job as a dad with my kids. You'd have to ask them. But the only thing I know I did a good job of was my wife was first. And and, you know, the, the kids, they were they were our, they were our first priority. Mm -hmm. uh, as a couple, but my, my wife was my first priority and, and it wasn't close. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's not like the kids were left out in the cold <laughs> while I took my wife in the house first. Nobody's suggesting that, but, but her, her, she was number one. And, uh, and I think that helped us, uh, make the kids number one, uh, you know, sort of, they were our priority, but my priority was her. Yeah. How long have you guys been married now? Put you on the spot. 30, yeah, 30 years this last August, but we started dating. Our first date was 40 years ago, March 19th. We, we just kind of celebrated that one. And it was kind of the bittersweet thing of, isn't that great? We've been together this long. And the other thing was like, <laughs> God damn, we're old. Like, this is a problem. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that's uh, that's incredible. So how did you guys meet? I mean, you, met, you, met, you met in college. How did you guys meet? Uh, well, I, I saw her picture in a magazine and I think now they would call it stalking what I did, but, um, uh, I saw Pursuing. her picture in a magazine. Yeah. And realized that she was, uh, you know, she was a student at Duke and, and, uh, and I had a chance to meet her and we had some mutual friends and sort of, I, I kind of got the word out that I was interested in meeting her and, uh, and we went out, uh, in, in, you know, sort of mid-March of my freshman year of college and, you know, started dating after that. And, and, you know, we've been together ever since really. And how long were you guys married before you had kids? Uh, only a couple of years. Uh, we were older, like, you know, we had, we were running around, you know, I was playing professional basketball. She was in business school and working in Washington, DC. And you know, she had a, a, a career path of her own. So we wanted to wait until I got out of law school. Once I had decided to go to law school and do the coaching gig, we wanted to wait until law school was done before we did anything. Cause I didn't want her quitting her job and moving to Durham and all that stuff when she didn't have to. Um, so we got married at the, uh, uh, at the end, the summer after I, uh, I graduated law school. So it was uh, August of 1992, we got married. That's awesome. Um, all right. So I love the marriage advice of, of keeping each other first, keeping that the first priority. Where, where did that come from? Is that something you just learned the hard way? Did you learn that from somebody specifically or where did that come from for you? 
No, it was just us. Um, you know, I'm married to an extraordinary person. You know, my wife, Wendy, is the single nicest person I've ever met, but she's also the toughest and the, the person whose priorities are most in order, I think, that I've ever known and the most comfortable in her own skin of anyone I've ever known. So it wasn't, I didn't really need, you know, prodding to make <laughs> yeah. her number one. It was, you know, she was number one period um, for me. But, you know, when you have kids in the house, um, you know, I made sure that, you know, we had time where uh, it was just me and and Wendy. And, and, uh, and I think she was like that too um, with me. Uh, so I made, I made sure that, that she knew like she was, she was number one. And, you know, we never really mapped out, all right, here's, here's your area, you know, here's your area, here's my area. We just kind of evolved into, all right, you know, I'm completely supportive of you. You're completely supportive of me and let's figure this out. So we didn't have any rules. The, the only, the only rule we had was, I think it was when we first got married, we kind of talked about, let, let, let's make a deal with each other. Let's not keep score. And, and at least that's the term that we, we came up with. Let's not keep score. You know, if, if, if you go out with your friends, I'm not going to be sitting at home going, all right, now I get to go play golf because you went out with your friend, you know, let's not keep score on stuff. You know, everything we do is we, you know, it's a, it's a, we first, you know, sort of deal. And uh, uh, we'll figure this out. It, it's not, but we can't be keeping score on this. And we've never, we've really never kept score. And, you know, she's a professional artist and, um, and she's really accomplished uh, in, in everything she's done, but she's made a lot of sacrifices. And I would, I would say without question, she's made more sacrifices for her individual abilities than, I, than I've been, been asked to make. And, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, sort of gender roles in our society, I'm sure. But it also came down to what she wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, uh, she's, she's a, an amazing caretaker. Like she takes care of everybody. And, uh, and, you know, I, I think it, there are some, there's some regrets you have the, uh, of the way things are, uh, you know, kind of in our society. Like I, I would have liked to have seen Wendy have the same opportunities to pursue sort of her professional, uh, ambitions. Um, but, you know, she had to make some choices or at least felt like she had to. And, and I, I had to make a couple of choices, but I, mine weren't as visible or as affecting as hers were. And, and a lot of that's societal. Um, but you know, I, I there's, I don't want to say there's nothing we could do about it, but, but it, it it's kind of in a lot of ways, there's a feeling that it's unfair and uh, inside there, that's the only sort of regret I have is, is, you know, she wasn't able to pursue the, the thing she wanted to like there. I don't know how many podcasts there are about, you know, uh, you know, mom, the woman podcast, you know, talking about the sacrifices that women make because they're way more profound than any sacrifice that any man makes. Yeah. And, and I'm so glad that you, you brought that up too. I, when my first son was born, I worked for a different company, big company, had the opportunity to take some paternity leave. So I had six weeks at home. And at the time my wife was working as well. We kind of staggered it a little bit where I was going to be home and then she was going to go to work. And when I was at home, primarily, I guess, you know, with the baby and running, 
trying to keep things up at the house did a horrendous job. I got to see first firsthand how incredibly difficult it really is. One, just to be at home with a baby all day when you like you're the sole caretaker for one child. I was like, oh, my goodness. So I'm so grateful that I had that opportunity and I've never forgotten it. And I think about it all the time. Like if, you know, I'll have a long day at work. My wife might have a long day at home with the kids. And like, I know who had a harder day. It's not me. Like, I know I I know that she had a tougher day because kids, as much as we love them, it's it's one. It's it's a huge sacrifice, I think, just to, to spend all your time there. Like you're saying, you have to potentially leave some some dreams out on the field a little bit, at least for a period of time. But two, like there's just some days when a kid, it's amazing what a four-year-old can do to your psyche over the course of 12 hours. So I'm so glad that you brought that up. Cause I think that's something that um, I don't think it gets talked about enough to your point. Like that, that podcast that you mentioned uh, mom, the woman that, that may not may or may not exist, but I think for the, for the dads to hear this, for the husbands to hear this, just as just to recognize like, if that's if your wife is playing that role, it's a tremendous sacrifice. And it I just hats off to all the moms out there. Like, let's take a moment standing ovation. Yeah. And, and you know, like Mother's Day or that's not enough. Um, yeah, I, I think if if I were to if my wife were sitting here listening to this and I, I talked about the amazing job that she did and continues to do, you know, not just with our kids, but with our family. Uh, she would probably say, oh, it's not it's not that big of a deal. Now, if I said, hey, what you did wasn't that big of a deal, she'd go, wait a minute, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> then then she'd, she'd probably probably challenge me on that. But, you know, she's too humble to, to take credit because I, I think she did enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she understood, um, you know, like for her, it was it was and for me, too, like it was rewarding. Everything we did was rewarding. Uh, and, and fun and something she wouldn't have wanted to miss. And that's why she made the decisions that she did, but she, like, I didn't have to make any decisions. Nobody looked at, was going to look at me sideways for not being at an event because I was out working. Um, they would have looked at me sideways if I had chosen to be the prime, if our family had chosen for me to be the primary caretaker, that's what I would have been looked sideways at. Mm-hmm. And and too many women are, are looked at with a side eye for making a, a, a career choice where, you know, they're 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 maybe they're a little bit more focused than the traditional role of, of primary caretaker of children would be. I mean, it's just a, it, it, it we haven't evolved yet. I mean, I know right. my knuckles are my knuckles are barely off the ground <laughs> having been dragging all these years. Um, but a- after you see it, I mean, you're, you're seeing it and I, you know, I saw it up close for so long and continue to see it. Uh, it's a sacrifice that I'm, I'm still, I still can't fathom. And, you know, it's kind of like military service. Like I, I, uh, I've never served in the military. I have an amazing respect for it, but I can't fathom that level of commitment and yeah. I can't fathom it with, with what my wife has done. Yeah. That's a really good way of putting it. Um, yeah, you know, it's really it's, I think it's great hearing you speak about your wife, about moms, uh, about wives, just in general. Um, 
the thing that really comes through when you speak is the way that you clearly honor your wife. And I think that that is so significantly important. And I, I, for anybody listening, I hope that's what you hear coming through first and foremost. They're like you have this reverence for her that's apparent. It's obvious. It's tangible. And I just want to acknowledge you for that because I think that's significant. And that leads to, you know, I think I think you see the fruits of the labor, you know, 40 years together and 30 years married. So bravo to you. Bravo to you guys as a couple for uh, for setting that example for us younger guys to follow. Because like I said, I'm very much trying to figure things out right now. Well, we're lucky. I mean, uh, it hasn't with her. It, it's been a chore for her, I'm sure, to be married to me. But it hasn't been. It's it, there's, you know, people will ask like, how do you, how do you make it work and all that stuff? And I, it's not work for us. At least not yeah. work for me. Um, I, I I couldn't have imagined uh, that it would be like this. You know, I'm and I, I I'm really grateful for that. Are there any lessons that you've learned the hard way that come to mind? Yeah. Oh, oh, sure. Um, you know, I think when you're, you know, you get wrapped up in your own stuff, kind of like you were saying before, like you get, you get home from a, a, a long road trip or maybe something didn't go as well at the office, or, you know, you think that, that your stuff is the whole world's revolving around your issues and you get home and you're not as, as present or as mindful that, you know, what, what I did wasn't half as hard as this. And uh, what am I moaning about? Uh, yeah, things like that. When you're yeah. not as uh, mindful that, you know, you, you, you're, it's not about you. Uh, it's about us. And, uh, you know, but I think for the most part, you know, everybody has their moments um, where, you know, nobody's going to go through this whole thing and, and you know, bat a thousand. But, um, you know, overall, I think the fact that, you know, we're both really supportive of each other and, uh, and I, th I think the putting each other first thing is a, a big deal. Yeah. Um, you know, and that, that when you do that, it, you know, it, it helps you listen. And, uh, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure that, that I did a better job of, of listening to what was important to her than telling her what was important to me. Yeah. It's easier said than done. And it's easy to hear that and say you were going to do it and then not do it and then actually have the bad day at the office. And I think it's funny. This has been so top of mind for me the last month because my wife and I have had that this conversation. And she said, it really sucks when you come home after a long day of work and we're all so excited to see you and you're just in a terrible mood and you and we feel it. She's like, it's it's terrible. So this has been very top of mind for me. So it's been in my head. And still, even when I know it, when you're in that moment, when you're getting out of the car after a long day, maybe it just, like you said, just didn't go the way you wanted it to work. To be able to kind of put that in your pocket say, okay, I'll forget about this probably by tomorrow or the next day. But I really, you know, I've got this shot to go in and be a great husband, a great dad tonight. So let's go do it. It's hard. It's easier said than done. It is. But there are times where, like, uh, you know, one of the things I tried to tell myself was, uh, you know, I'm not allowed to be tired when I get home. Like and um, in most of it, like I, I took a little bit of a selfish viewpoint of it, you know, that that if I was if I get home and I'm you know kind of ready to roll with what's going on at home, it's going to benefit me um, that I'm going to be part of something that, you know, I would have missed otherwise. Like what what good is it? You know, I, I'm not going to make any memories by, you know burying my face in the couch and getting a nap before dinner, you know, or whatever, yeah. um, you know, get an extra hour of sleep or something. Uh, Cause it's funny, you know, when I was, when I was younger, 
you know, I never, I never thought about, man, I'm too tired to go out tonight and have a few drinks with my friends. Uh, it's funny how it never, that never exhausted me. Um, so th th this, this shouldn't either. And th this is a heck of a lot more, more rewarding than that. Yeah. So how did things change for you and your wife as your kids got older, left home, went off to school, did their own things? How did that change? Uh, how, what was empty nesting like for, for you guys? Awesome. Uh, <laughs> it got better. Um, and, and our kids were great. I mean, we loved, I think the, for our kids, I can speak for myself here. Like, you know, we always loved them, but the older they got, the better I liked them. And, uh, and really like, I, God, I enjoyed being around them and, you know, high school, um, you know, in high school, they're getting ready to, to jump and, and be on their own. So I think there was, there were times where, you know, they didn't want to tell us everything, you know, when they're, when they're younger, you know, they answer every question in big detail and you have these long discussions and then, you know, high school, the discussions got a little shorter and, uh, and I was the same way. I'm sure, you know, you're, that's the stage of life. You're trying to keep a, a few things away from your parents. Um, but, but once they went to college, all of a sudden, you know, they had their own lives and they're telling us all these great stories. And, you know, so we, we were, we were, uh, we really enjoyed our time together. I mean, one of the things about uh, the empty nesting part was um, we didn't have to say no to anything. So uh, when friends would call and say, hey, you know, you want to you want to have dinner tonight? Uh, we were thinking about grabbing a bite to eat. And we were like, yeah, like you, all those years, the answer was an immediate no, because you had yeah. kids in the house and they got some stuff to do. We have stuff to do, um, you know, family time, whatever it is, you know, you had to say no. And all of a sudden we had all this, all this time and, uh, and time together. Um, so it was, it was kind of a, uh, it's almost like we were dating again and it was really fun, but I think because of the time in between of getting, you know, getting married, having kids. And then when the kids left, the fact that we were so attentive to one another, that wasn't a big adjustment for us. Um, we missed the kids, but, but they were ready to go. And so, you know, we, we didn't really, we weren't pining for things. It was very natural for us. And as the years have gone on with kids 28, 26 now, um, it's really fun now because now we're traveling to see them wherever they are. And, um, and they're, they're older now, their stories are better, even better. Um, yeah. so it's really, it's really a fun, sort of a fun relationship, but, you know, we, we take a lot of time together, my wife and I, and, and, you know, she'll come with me on the occasional road trip. It's odd that she goes to Maui and New York and places like that. She doesn't want to go to like Lubbock or, you know, <laughs> West Lafayette, Indiana. Uh, th those, those, she's busy on those, those weekends. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear that it's been a, a pleasant transition. Um, that's not something we've gotten into a whole lot on the show. A lot of the guests that we've had have been, uh, they've been dads with younger kids so this is this is great getting to hear the perspective from somebody with uh with a bit more of a proven track record let's say that like you're you're in the uh position now where you kind of look back and speak to things with a bit more perspective to uh to those of us that are down here in the trenches i would love to hear what you were like as a dad to kids playing youth sports um so i think about this you were somebody who had a very successful basketball career you had a lot of success you raised a son who played college basketball i'd love to know what that experience was like for you and how you kind of handled your son coming up playing sports 
very hands off. Um, our main thing was uh, we wanted our kids to do what they enjoy doing and to, to be good teammates and and put their, you know, put their time in and, you know, work at it. And, but but it's supposed to be fun. And uh, and I guess it's part of maybe being a broadcaster. Like I don't cheer when I go to games. I watch the game. Um, so, I mean, I clap when people are introduced and all that, but I, I don't I don't react to every play. And so when I would go to his games, I kind of just sat there and uh, would talk to the other parents, um, but just try to enjoy, enjoy watching the game and enjoy watching my son or daughter, whoever was playing at the time, do what they enjoyed doing. You know, my daughter was a competitive uh, uh, horse rider, you know, hunter jumper. And so when we go to her horse shows and her events, I mean, you'd be a little bit on pins and needles that she wouldn't knock a rail down or, uh, you know, win the competition and hopefully not fall off the horse, that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, basketball, just cause I, I, I think I have some knowledge of it doesn't mean that, I mean, I'm not in charge. It's his career and his experience. So I just wanted to be supportive. And, um, and so I didn't really do much of, of anything at those games other than, than be a spectator. And then after the game's over, like I enjoyed hearing stories about what was going on in the huddle or the locker room, but I wasn't giving advice of, Hey, why didn't you block out? Or you need to, you know, you need to use your left hand on that, you know, that layup or shoot the floater instead of picking up a chart. I, I don't care about that. That's, that's on his coach, not me. But if he asked me, I would, I would say something, but I, I coached his AAU team uh, for a couple of summers and that was fun. I enjoyed that. Um, but, but I, I hopefully pretty hands off. And I asked him one time if it bothered him that I don't, I'm not up, you know, kind of cheering and yelling and screaming. And uh, he was kind enough to say, oh, I prefer that. Like, I don't, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want you to do the, the other. So uh, maybe he's just humoring me. Was that easy for you to do? Was that natural to to be more hands off? Or was that something you had to intentionally override? Uh, boy, I don't know that anything's natural when you're going through all this stuff. Um I think it was more the way my dad did it. That was probably an influence. Like my dad came to, he didn't go to all my games. Cause I had a ton of games when I was a kid. Uh, you know, I played 50 basketball games a year and then all these baseball games, he was working. The one thing my dad did was he went to all my high school games. Uh, he didn't miss a game. Um, and then when I went to college, I went to college on the other side of the country. So he couldn't see all those, but he, you know, he'd come see a couple games uh, here and there during the course of the season um, uh, you know, take a trip and try to see two or three in a row. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I got some of that from my dad. Yeah. Um, and he, he was, you know, kind of my parents expected me to behave myself and to, to, you know, be a good teammate, uh, all that stuff. And I, you know, I, I kind of, that's all I really said to my son was, and you, you is sort of like the John Wooden thing. You praised the action you wanted repeated. And so if, if I saw him do something, I would, I would tell him afterwards, man, that was really good. Uh, that was really impressive. And the other stuff I left to somebody else, you know, his coach had it in hand uh, and it doesn't matter. Like you're sitting there as a parent, you can sit there and go, well, oh, this coach doesn't know as much about his the game about it as I do. Like, who cares? Yeah. I'm not the coach. He or she is. And uh, so I just stayed out of the way. Yeah. That's, I think that's, that's so powerful and it seems to be very consistent across so many uh, people that have, have had success so i had jordan spieth on the show not too long ago and he mentioned something very similar he said his parents would drop him off at the golf course they pick him up at the end of the day 
They just made him make the decision. Is this something you want to pursue? We'll support you 100%, but it's going to be up to your coaches and everything from there. I will help, you know, we'll do whatever you, we can to help you. But it was less of, uh, you know, we I, I coach the Little League baseball team for my six-year-old now, and you see a lot of the, the dads, like, basically banging on the fence as their kid's up to bat, giving them pointers mid-swing, and I'm just like, that kid's just not having fun. That kid's not going to want to come back. And my heart breaks to some extent for those kids that, you know, with all the things that kids have to deal with now, I'm like, let these kids have a little play therapy out there, if nothing else, and enjoy, have some joy with sports. And if you want them to have, I think, I believe, if you want them to have success in the long run, the best thing that can happen is that they fall in love with the game and they fall in love, they find that joy in the game because that is sustainable. But dad barking at you from behind the cages is, it's tough. And I'm not saying I haven't been that dad. I have before. And it's something I have to more manually override, like get out of the way, get out of the way, get out of the way. Um, but I think that's such an interesting perspective. Well, I find it interesting that, uh, and look, we all see the same things and we saw it, you know, several years ago, I, I saw it with my kids. I, you know, I don't honestly remember that much about, you know, how parents acted when I was a little kid playing little league ball or, or, you know, basketball in high school, but, but you re- you can really see it when your parents sitting in the stands and the, everything's around you. But I, I always kind of wondered, like, do, do these people who are micromanaging their kids' athletic careers, are they looking at their homework every night with that same critical eye um, of the things that, that most people would deem the most important? Like, are they, are they on them about that? Um, my guess is they're not. And, and I don't know what causes all this stuff. Um, I, and, and, you know, I, I mean, I wish I did. I mean, I run a basketball camp during the summer and we're pretty intentional about keeping the parents away from the players, not like cordoned off away, but but not where the parents are sitting close enough where the the players can hear them or make eye contact with them Mm -hmm. Uh, because we want the players to just play and uh, and to have an experience with one another and their coaches and the staff and all that that's separate from the parents. And, uh, you know, to Jordan Spieth's point, like I, I would prefer that the camp was the parents bring the, the, the their 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 player, drop the player off and then pick them up at the end. But most of them want to stick around and watch. And that's fine. I mean, I, I respect that. Um, I wasn't that type like we when we when our kid went to our son went to basketball camp and he went to a, a few of them. Uh, and especially ones that were way out of town where it required travel, you know, we weren't going to just put them on a plane. So we, we went with them and made like a little vacation out of it. So we dropped mm-hmm. them off at camp, made sure you had all this stuff and we would go to one game and that was it. And then we would be off on our own because that was his thing. And uh, like, I didn't want my parents hanging around going to like, <laughs> When I was in little league, if my dad or mom were at my little league practices the whole time, I'd be horrified. <laughs> you know, I don't, they get to tell me what to do at home. Yeah. I didn't want them telling me what to do when I was playing ball. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I did a lot of programs when I, like I was a junior lifeguard. So my mom had dropped me off at the beach and I was in the junior lifeguard program from like seven in the morning or eight in the morning, whatever it was until, until three. Mm-hmm. And she picked me up at three. And, and the rest of it was up to the, the lifeguard program and everything worked out just fine. It was my thing. It was fun. It was challenging. Uh, and then when I got home, you get to tell me what to do again, but, but Holy cow. I mean, I couldn't have taken that if I had it 24 hours a day with, with the stuff that was supposed to be fun. I don't, I don't yeah. think I would have functioned very well. 
Right. I mean, and I think that's why we probably see so many kids quitting sports at, at a young age. If there's, you know, you hear statistics all over the place, you know, 70% of kids quit by the time they're 12. And some of that is natural. Some kids just don't enjoy sports. But I think a lot of it, to your point, the, the fun just isn't there because it's micromanaged to the point where it's not fun anymore. Um, you know, he's like, I, I'm in it now. You know, I, like I said, six and four year olds, we're, we're in, we're, we're on the on-ramp of, uh, youth sports being taken way too seriously by parents. And, uh, I, I'm getting to see it all firsthand. And I hate to see the kids that they make an error in the field, they drop a ball, they strike out and they immediately turn and look to their mom, dad in the stands. Like, am I in trouble? Like, did I do something wrong? Like, what's going to, what are you going to say? You know, I, I just, I, I, my heart breaks for that kid. It's pressure, like, and it's yeah. unneeded. So, you know, mo most kids are going to want to do well and they're going to have pressure on themselves where they don't, you know, because they, they know there are people watching. They're not immune to that. But but if they've got if they're going to hear about it at home, uh, if they screw up now, if they misbehave, of course, you, you're going to say something. Right. But but it, it like it, right now. Um, you know, like I played a ton of basketball in fourth grade through eighth grade. Uh, I played on a team with the same guys every year and, you know, we had a really good team and we played, we probably played in those four years. I'll bet you, I know we played two, 200 games yeah. and, and like, what, what were, what were we going to like, I don't remember all, like all the times I screwed up in those games, but I would remember if I screwed up and somebody was hammering me over it. Yeah. I would remember that. <clears throat> And uh, and what's a, what's the point of that? Uh, the stuff you really remember, the the relationships you had with your teammates, your coaches, you know, kind of the fun trips you had, the funny things that happened or things that were said. Yeah, you, know, you remember play to play in a game. Um, it, it it doesn't work that way, and and it's supposed to be a positive thing. Uh, so so you want to focus on the positive part of it. Yeah, and I think that's the reminder for for me and the rest of us parents that are in the thick of it right now is that it's it's bigger than the the sports. It's bigger than the at bat. It's bigger than the air in the field. It's bigger than whatever it is that you're seeing on the field on the court right now. To your point, it's that opportunity for them to develop relationships and friendships and mentorships with coaches and other advisors. And if we can just step out of the way and kind of let those things naturally happen, that's the point. I heard David Pollock the other day say that you know no matter what sport you play, no matter how old you are, no matter how good you are, sport ends for everybody. At some age, you can't play anymore. You you end up in a position where you're not playing sports anymore. So it's whatever it is that you're doing on the court, on the field, it will come to an end. But those relationships, like I'd imagine you're still very close with those guys that you grew up playing basketball with and, and have the mentorships. I bet you're still you know, close with Coach K. And it, it's it's to me, like those are the um the intangibles, the really the fruits of of what sports offer. Yes. I mean, in fact, I just had dinner with a, a high school teammate of mine at the final four in Houston. We got together uh, so that, yeah, those have been lifelong relationships and friendships. Uh, and, and you've had some, frankly, like I did not have a good relationship with my high school coach. I haven't spoken to him since I left high school and, you know, he died a, a few years ago and we had zero relationship. So it, not everything's like seashells and balloons, but, but um you know, it, it was because I, it wasn't like I turned a, I, I turned away from something good with that. I just I, I stepped away from something negative with him. And and uh, I, I think with I don't know, it's kind of a hard, a hard thing to to put your finger on. But, 
you know, whether it's school or whatever, like teachers, coaches, parents, they can be really demanding. Like demanding is fine. I, I don't know. I don't know many kids that can't handle high expectations, but, but the, the part where it's too much, where there, there's a demeaning a aspect to it that, that you're harping on the negative, you know, like if, if kids make mistakes or they don't, you know, they don't perform well in a certain game, like that's not revelatory of their character and who they are. Um, like, and I, I had a thing actually with a, a parent one time, it was, is it was, it was pretty, pretty innocent really. But, you know, when I was doing that AAU coaching thing, uh, you know, you know how it is like you play two, three games in a day or maybe five, six games in a, a weekend or three day weekend. It's a lot. Mm -hmm. and uh and you know it was a lot to sit through let alone a lot to play through yeah and our team which was a very good team and had players that went on we had one player playing in the nba now we had multiple guys playing college one guy playing the nfl was playing in the nfl and uh, uh you know we lost a game to somebody it was probably poor coaching but we lost mm -hmm. a game and one of the parents of one of the players came up afterwards and was kind of shaking his head saying you know th these these kids have to learn like how hard they have to play and how, how much they have to concentrate and all that. And I said, I, 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 I didn't want to laugh at him, but, but I said, you know what we need to do? We need to get all our, our old game film out when we were their age and show them how we never took a playoff. That's what we need to do. And he, he was like, he was nodding his head at first and then he realized, Oh, okay. All right. All right. Okay. I get it. And uh, you know, they're no different than we were. Like, I'd like to sit here and tell you that when I, when I played back when we walked uphill to games, both ways in the snow um, that we were tougher and it meant more and all that. It didn't, we, we were the same in, in large measure. And, uh, and we can say that these players are different now, but they're really not. Not in my view, anyway, and I've been around a lot of them. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, like society in different ways may be different. Um, they play, you know, the the top players play, you know, in more sort of games around the country than we did. Uh, our, some of our stuff was more regional and local and more high school oriented and all that. But fundamentally, they're not any different than we were. And if you look at the players that are playing in college now, like I don't see a difference in how hard they play versus how hard players played back in the day. In fact, I think these guys play harder and they work harder. They put more time into it. They care just as much. Um, so I, I don't, I don't see the, you know, why the negativity comes in. Um, and I, I, it, boy, when you get it from your parents, it, and I've seen it, we've all seen it, you know, where golfers, you know, like if, and I saw it with, with some golfers that uh, I'm familiar with, where, you know, they're out practicing and hitting balls and one of their parents is there watching them, giving them feedback on every swing. And then they wonder why the kid quits. Yeah. It's because like, is that any fun? Um, I, I just can't imagine that. And, and that's supposed to be a game you can play for the rest of your life. You, you, you shouldn't want to quit when you're a teenager uh, because you're getting, you're getting kind of mentally beat up by, by your parents uh, or, or whoever, whoever's doing it. Uh, it's supposed to be fun. Yeah. All right. So for all of us listening, I think I think the key takeaway here is get out of the way a little bit. Get out of the way. You can be demanding, but not demeaning. That is, I think, a universal principle that we can we can apply across the board for anybody listening. Kids can handle those high expectations. Most kids can handle high expectations, but being demeaning is just 
it's out of bounds. I think that's such a, um, that's such a calibrating point right there that I'll, I'll definitely take that with me. And I think that's a great place to, to put a pin in this one. Let's tie a bow on it. Jay, thank you so much for making some time for us. This is, like I said, such an honor to get to have you on the show. You're someone that has been a, a part of my fandom for a long time as a college hoops fan. And, um, I've always really appreciated your approach to things, how thoughtful and intentional you are, as I mentioned before, just so grateful to have the opportunity to have you on here. So thank you so much for making some time for us. Uh, thanks for, thanks for bringing the heat. Really appreciate it. Where's the best place for us to find you, follow you, learn more about you. Uh, you mean like social media? Yeah. Um, uh, in uh, Instagram, I think I'm at Jay Billis. Uh, I think it's the same for, uh, for Twitter. And I think that's the extent of what I'm on. I don't know if I'm on anything else. I'll have to, I'll have to figure all that out. I, I'm technologically not the most savvy guy you've ever met, but, uh, but I think that's where it is. Uh, other than that, you can find me at home or, you know, my, my local club trying to get some, you know, hit some golf balls at my age. I'm just trying to stay in the game a little bit. How's the game looking? Depends on the day. You know, it depends on the day. Uh, are you, are you, uh, how often do you play? I play as often as I can. So yeah. I will I will play two, three times a week um, during the off season, depending on the weather and depending on what, you know, what we have going on family wise and work wise. But uh, if it's sunny out and I've got some time, I will go out and and at least take some swings. Like I like even if I have an hour, I'll go out and hit balls, putt for a little while. Uh, I just enjoy being outside and, and, uh, and I enjoy, I enjoy golf. As long as my body holds up, I'm going to keep playing. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, uh, well, good stuff. Jay, again, thank you so much for making the time. We'll, uh, we'll stay in touch. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. All right, everybody. That's it. Thank you so much for sticking around till the end. If you enjoyed what you heard today and you want to hear more conversations like this one that we just had with Jay Billis, do me a huge favor. Leave us a rating and review. Share the show with your friends. And until next time, remember to love and lead from the front. See ya.